Well, good morning, church. How many days till Christmas? Whoa, I was waiting for that. Yes. Did it, did, did you hear that on this side of the church over here? Okay, a big 17 just got shouted out from this side over there. I love it. I love it. Yes, 17 days till Christmas. And kids are usually the ones to answer that quickly. Kids are like, 17. You know why? Because they're like, yes, it's coming, right? Um, the adults in here, some of you are like, I have no clue. I don't want to know. It's, don't tell me 17. Um, it, it's coming too quick. Some of us adults get a little anxious and we're like, you know, kids are saying, oh, yes. We're saying, oh, no, no. Not yet, right? Uh, a little different there, right? Um, but as a kid, I remember just that excitement of Christmas and couldn't wait for it. The countdown was coming, and um, we wanted to open up our presents. I remember my brothers and my sister, you know, she was older and almost like out of the house by the time I remember her. But um, my brothers, we were like, couldn't wait. Now, I have a little time of confession here, okay? I'm curious. Anybody on Christmas morning? See, we didn't do Christmas Eve. We didn't do the week before Christmas. We waited till Christmas morning. Anybody around here Christmas morning? Maybe that night when mom and dad are in bed. Anybody go out to the tree? Grab their present and shake it. Anybody? Anybody want to confess to that? A few of you? All right. All right. Some of you confess. The others in you, you're not going to, you're not going to let anybody know, right? Because there's some kids in here that are like, they've already shaken some of their bread. They're not going to say anything, right? Curious. How many of you, maybe, now you only shook the present. Did anybody by chance sneak into where it was hidden and open it? You're already raising your hands. You know what I'm going to say. Open it up. Guilty, guilty, guilty. All right, good. A lot of you. Anybody open up that present and play with it? Oh, look at this. Wow. Wow, Jim, I hope you didn't break it. That would have been a sad thing, you know, to break it and put it back in. Mom and Dad, I can't believe you gave me a broken toy. All right. Wow, well, that, that period of waiting can be so intense. Some of us, we just jump ahead, right? It's like, I want to look, I want to peek, I want to play with it, right? We just can't wait for that moment. Oh, it's that longing, that longing, that longing. Well, in the Bible, there was a period of waiting. And the period of waiting was more than 17 days. It was more than seven hours. Some say it was around 700 years in between Old Testament and New Testament from when God last spoke and really made a proclamation of any sort to the time when he first spoke again, that's a long, long time. This Messiah was promised to come and rescue us, to save us, but yet we hadn't heard from him in hundreds of years. And it's like, so when is he going to arrive? Well, we are in the midst of a new sermon series entitled An Unfiltered Christmas. And the whole point of this, this is that sometimes in life, we want everybody to look like we have it all together. We are the happiest family. There are no messes in our life, right? But when you move away the filters and take away the crop, um, crop, I said, okay? There you, I don't know what some of you are thinking. Anyway, um, you see that there's other things in life that are really messy. And on social media, we want everybody to look at us and say, we're feeling good, we're looking good, right? But we know, we know that there is a mess And instead of covering up the mess and cropping out and filtering out all that stuff, instead, we want to talk about having an unfiltered Christmas. Let's just let God meet us right where we're at. In our midst, our our hurt, our pain, our brokenness, our lack of peace, our lack of joy, our lack of hope, whatever it is that we're in right now, let's just let God meet us right where we're at and let His Word, His Spirit 
come into our life and help us right there. Instead of us trying to make ourselves look good, how about we let God help us right where we're at and bring us what we really need. And today that is hope. At Christmas, we, we celebrate that God sent his one and only son, not, not to come into the world to make us happy. He did not send his one and only son to come and make us comfortable. He sent his one and only son, as we said last week, to reconcile, to restore a broken relationship. And this week we want to talk about how God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to then also bring us hope. And Christmas is about celebrating that baby, Jesus Christ, coming to Bethlehem to rescue us and to restore that relationship with God and to give us the hope we need. So in your Bibles, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, this scripture we looked at, I think it was back in October maybe, this past fall. And we looked at it in in greater depth. I'm just going to sort of skim over it and point some stuff out in in relation to today's message on hope. Luke chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It said, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the laws, the Lord's commandments, and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So Zechariah and Elijah, um, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, belonged to a long line of, of priestly ordered. So basically, they were like preacher's kids, so to say. Not only did they come from this long line of, of, of a family history of believing, it's described here what they were like. They were righteous in God's eyes. They did everything right. It says they were careful to obey all the Lord's commands. If there was a command, they followed it. If there was a, 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 a law in which God had laid out, they were on it. They were very righteous. They, what they did, it says they were also, they were blameless. I mean, they were innocent. If you tried to uncover any dirt on this couple, you wouldn't find any. Send out a private investigator. See if you can find something on them that we can bust them for. You won't find it. Because they were righteous. They were blameless. They were good. And they were really good. Matter of fact, if, if God had a naughty nice list, they were on a super nice list. You know what I'm saying? So remember this now. It's been probably close to 700 years since anybody's heard from God. No evidence that all of his promises about a Messiah was going to come true. Someone who's going to come and save the world. No sight to this promise happening and being unveiled. All they had was the promises that they had read in the scrolls about God and what he had to say. But here's the thing. They continued, though, to worship and serve God. Haven't heard from them hundreds of years, but we're still going to serve them. We're going to be faithful to what we believe is true and what he promised. See, they had hope. They didn't see anything going on around them, but they had hope in a promise that was made hundreds of years before. So they were faithful. And here's the thing. What did they have to show for their faithfulness? I mean, they followed every command. They were reverent. They were committed. 
what did they get out of it? I mean, come on. Don't a lot of us do things to get something, right? I mean, they were super faithful, blameless, righteous, and yet no Messiah. And here's the other thing. They were childless. You talk about a slap in the face. See, in biblical times, that was embarrassing. In biblical times, if you were without child, it meant you were probably cursed. It was a woman's fault. That's what they believed. But yet, it says in Scripture, she was what? Blameless. How can this be that you are blameless and also childless? Come on, God. That doesn't make sense. They prayed to God for children. We read that in Scripture, but no results. And yet they remained faithful to God. How could they? How could she? Their faith was based on the promise of God. Go all the way back to the beginning. Go to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, God made this promise to Abraham. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And we saw that through Abraham, God was going to bless the world then and the world to come. And so they are part of, part of that promise. Zechariah and Elizabeth are like, we're, we're part of that, right? Yes, you are. So God's promised to bless us, right? Yeah, but I'm childless. Where's the blessings at, God? But as you read through the Old Testament, here's what happens to God's people. God's people gets in this ugly cycle. They sin, they get punished, they get it right with God, and they start living for God, and then they sin, and they get punished, and they get right with God. You know, it's just an ugly cycle keeps going. And then finally God says, boom, you're into slavery, and then boom, you're, you're taken into captivity, and you're going to be exiled, but then you come back. And you look at the history of Israel, and you sit there and think, and the world's going to be blessed through Israel? How could this be? This doesn't make sense when you look at history, right? In 65 BC, Pompey comes riding into Jerusalem. And he's going to capture the city. He's going to destroy the Jews, right? But he comes into the city and then he goes into the temple. And he gets into the temple and he's like, I'm not done. He goes into the Holy of Holies. That's the only place where the high priest once a year would go in and offer for the sins of the world, right? Nobody goes in there except the high priest. Pompey is like, I'm going to go into your Holy of Holies and show you that your God is not real. Pompey goes into the Holy of Holies, struts around, consecrates the, the temple, and then leaves. It's like, see, your God is not real. And basically destroyed a lot of the faith of some of these Jews. During that time in 65 BC, understand this, Zechariah and Elizabeth's parents were probably serving in the temple. They probably saw this go down firsthand. And yet, knowing all of this and the history, and some of these Jews giving up their hope, Zechariah and Elizabeth stayed committed to their faith. God's not talking. People are going into the Holy of Holies and desecrating it, and God didn't do anything. But we believe God is real. We believe God is holy. We believe God is all-powerful, right? That was Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let me ask you this, church. When God seems to be silent, and he's quiet, 
do you ever ask, why am I doing godly things? Zachariah and Elizabeth could have very easily said, we're doing all these godly things and the world is falling apart around us. We, we could join in with them, really, we could. But they didn't. Have you ever felt that way? Why, why go to church? Seriously. Why, why worship? Why sing these songs? Why, when all the world around me isn't the greatest, I could have slept in this morning and got some extra sleep. I could have done anything else. Why am I striving to do godly things when the rest of the world seems to be having so much more fun? I'm choosing not to participate in this over here because God has called me to walk this direction. Why not go ahead and just do this? Because sometimes I don't see the point, right? Do you ever ask that question? I see our, our kids when they're younger in, in GPS, which is our you know, kindergarten up to about fifth grade. And I see them, and now a lot of them are in high school now. And, but watching them, it's like they learn verses, and they, they sing songs, and they hear the Bible stories. They're doing it right now, right now in children's church, right? And then they get into middle school, and then they start getting tempted. And it's like, oh, I'm going to start being mean to people because, well, because my friends are mean to me. So I'm going to be mean to others, right? Isn't that what we do? We just gossip, and we, we make fun of people. And then, and then you get into high school, and it's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and take this drug. I'm going to go ahead and do this thing sexually with my friend. You know, and it's like, really? Why are you guys doing Why are we making these choices? Because that's what the world's doing. And it brings pleasure. Why should I do these godly things when I'm not seeing it pay off? Why should I be honest when I am honest and I get a B and my friends cheat and they get the A's and they don't get in trouble and people know it. Nobody busts that person for doing that. So why should I do the right thing? Why should I? Why should I? Should I still pray at the lunch table? Should I give in to the pressures of doing the things I know are not godly? I mean, really, what do, what do we get out of this church stuff? What do we get out of this be like God stuff? I mean, like, like Santa, it, who has this naughty nice list. If God, does God have a naughty nice list? Am I on one of those? Do I, I mean, does it really matter? Should I really be worried about what God thinks of me? And during the pressure, when things are really dark and gloomy and life is tough, and I just want to quit and give in because I'm wondering... Does God really care? I mean, does being a Christian really matter? What am I going to get out of it? Do you give up? Do you give in to discouragement and lose hope? I, I know this. As a leader, a person who's in a position of leadership, when you lose hope, you lose direction, and everybody else around you does too. One of the most important things that a leader is to, main, to maintain hope, to have courage. A leader must stay encouraged. See, when you have hope, you're encouraged, and you, you make good decisions, and you have better relationships, and you help people go in the right direction when you have that hope. But when you lose hope, the world around you starts this little tailspin, and you crash. In the world of sports, I see it happen often. As a coach, when I, when I see another coach drop his head, maybe his shoulders, or I see a player drop his head, drop his shoulders, like, oh, I'm sitting there going, they've lost hope. We're going to win. All it takes is one person in a high position to lose hope, and suddenly people around them are losing hope. Or they just walk away because they don't want to be around that person. 
Howard Hendricks said this, discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out your heart. Church, listen, if the devil can convince you that it doesn't matter, that there is no hope, he will rock you to sleep and shred you to pieces. We have to be aware of that tool, that tactic of hopelessness in our lives. We must have hope. See, we can live without food for what, 40 days? We can live without water for like three to five days. You can maybe breathe, or, or I'm saying not breathe for three to four minutes, right? Living without air, then eventually we die, right? But when you lose hope, we give up the will to live. As I've stood over the casket of different people who have passed away because they committed suicide, I question why did they lose hope? Why did they do this? How about you? Do you ever wonder if God cares? Do you ever wonder if it's, if it's worth it? Is God listening? Is there hope? I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth, godly, blameless, righteous people. God's not talking. I'm childless, so it's like, does it really matter that I live for you, God? Does it really matter that I do the things that I do? I mean, I might as well just go ahead and live whatever way I want to live, right? I'm telling you, this is another reason why Christmas is so special. Because God not only came to bring us peace by reconciling and restoring that relationship with him, but he also sent Jesus to give us hope. To help us in those moments when we're feeling pretty hopeless. To, in those moments when you're asking that question, is it worth it? Should I? And Jesus is shouting out saying, yes, that's why I came to give you hope. Do not give up. It's worth what you're doing. Look at back in Luke chapter 1. We'll pick back up in verse 8. We read that one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Now you guys remember this? We talked about this back in October, right? Zechariah was shaken, overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. And the angel of the Lord said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're going to name him John. It's been hundreds of years since God spoke, and suddenly God is speaking. An angel of the Lord is standing for him saying, hey, hey, I heard your prayers. See, in those moments, we're feeling pretty hopeless and pretty weak. God's like, I, I can show up if I want to. And in this moment, God said, I am showing up. And he sent his angel to tell Zechariah, I heard your prayers. You're going to have a son. And this is what you're going to name him. I don't know, many of us were probably waiting sometimes for God to answer prayers. And that's a challenging time, isn't it? It's harder than waiting to open up those Christmas presents. You're like, waiting, God, you're going to answer this prayer. God, you're going to answer this prayer. When are you going to answer this prayer? And listen, we don't know God's timing. And don't let anybody fool you. Anybody who stands up in front of you and says, I can tell you when God's going to answer. Hmm. I don't know if I can trust that because we don't know how God works, but we can trust how God works. 
Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Listen, he may be silent now, but he won't be silent for long. He will answer your prayers. Listen, God gives us hope. We can trust him. We can trust him. So listen, church, either our hope is in Jesus Christ or our hope is in the things of this world. Which one is it? Which one is it? I'm going to tell you how we can tell. It's by how we handle things. Our behavior. Our hope is shown in how we act. Is my hope in money? How I take my money and I hoard it and greed with it or give it? Is my hope in the Lord by how I maintain my integrity or am I going to be dishonest? Is my hope in the Lord by the way I'm going to work on my marriage or I'm just going to give up? Is my hope in the Lord by whether or not I'm going to tell the truth or I'm going to lie? Hope is not in things. Material possessions can be taken away. They can be lost. They can be broken. I can go ahead and have a lot of great things. My hope is in my new phone. And all i got to do is drop it and it shatters. Guess what? My hope is gone, right? Or somebody takes it. It's gone. Stock markets crash. Banks close. All that money I had, that I had my hope in, is gone. Just like that. My hope cannot be in things that can be easily taken. My hope cannot be in my education or my academic challenge. Listen. If you're striving to get all A's, go for it. But it's not about having all A's. It's not about the big titles. Those are great things to strive for. I would never tell you to not do that. But if that's all your hope is in, what happens if you get one bad grade? Is your hope gone? What happens if you get knocked in the head and you get a concussion or worse yet, something happens to your brain and you forget everything? Is your hope gone? Our hope can't be in things. Our hope cannot be in sports. We have made sports to be a God. You know why I was praying for Ohio State to win last night? So that I would have happy Christians on Sunday morning, okay? That's it. I grew up in Indiana. I have no skin in the game, okay? I married a Buckeye. My kids like the Buckeyes. I get it, okay? But it's like, does it matter to me? No, because I know that in America, we've made sport a god. We, we worship sport. We, we spend more money on sport. We will give up church to go about sport. I get it, okay? But when it comes to that game last night, I was like, man, I just hope they win. Because I want everybody to be happy tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are happy in here today because of that. Some of you are like, I'm not. I'm, I'm a Michigan fan. Or, you know, maybe you're a different fan. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. But anyway, our hope can't be in sport. Because if I'm all about getting a scholarship and it's all about I'm going to go out and excel, but then I get injured, my hope is gone. My injury has taken me out. Hope can't be in our circumstances. Well, I hope this works out. I hope that works out. Because just as quick as you want something to work out, something else will not work out. And your hope is gone. Our hope can't be in those things. Turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 to 11. Paul's written this letter to the people in Philippi, and it's an incredible letter. And he talks about his joy, and where does his joy come from? And, and he gets into chapter 3, and he's sort of laying out, like, guys, listen, I, I'm like an accountant here. I'm going to count things out and weigh things out, and I want you to see what I came up with. We'll pick it up in verse 6, where he starts with, at the end of verse 6, where he says, I obeyed the law without fault. Verse 7, then he goes on to say, I once thought these things were valuable. Re- referring to my education, my titles, oh, the, the things that I've accomplished, right? But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, the things that I'm doing, right, the, the do's and don'ts, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Church, if you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. You place your faith in him. It's not why well, I go to church, I take communion, I got baptized. Those are things. Those are, those are things you did. They didn't make you right with Christ. It's your faith that makes you right with Christ. Going on, it says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on what? Faith. Verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Do you hear the hope in Paul's voice? He's counting things out. The things I've done, the things I've accomplished, compare that with knowing Christ. Garbage. Knowing Christ is everything. Oh, by the way, you know what the translation for garbage is in Greek? Dung. You know what dung is? Poop. Okay, Paul says all that stuff, who I was, my title, my academia, my accomplishment, I'm going to compare that to knowing Christ. Flush it, not worth it, okay? Leave it in the garbage, put it away, it's trash. This is worth knowing. This is worth having. This is where I find my hope. Paul listed all those things, and he just says, I can't even weigh it out. See, the goal of the Christian life, church, listen, the goal of the Christian life, it's not about accomplishments. It's not even about heaven. It's about knowing Christ. It's about restoring that relationship with the God of this universe. It's not our works. It's not success. It's our faith. Our hope is not in all A's and getting my scholarship. Our hope is not in the scoreboard victories of being named all conference. Our hope is not in a six-figure job or the, the, oh, my kids. My hope is in my kids, right? Or my hope is in my looks. My hope is in my popularity. My hope is, Paul says, garbage. Our hope is in Christ. See, here's the thing. What we put our hope in is what we worship. It's easy to know what you worship. Just check your schedule. Check your bank account. Wherever you're spending your money, wherever you're spending your time, that's what typically we worship. How you spend it reveals what we worship. Uh, in your Bibles, you, know, you can turn it if you want. I'll just put it up on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 to 10, and then verse 17 says this. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Do you ever... Do you ever hear me ever say, do you ever see like a, um, a moving van behind a hearse at a funeral? Doesn't happen. They can't take it with you, right? We came into the world with what? Nothing. And we leave this world with nothing. Yeah. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10 goes on to say, For the love, not just, love, not just money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith, pierced themselves with many sorrows. Verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, 
Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Church, is your hope in Christ, or is your hope in things? Where is your hope today? Where have you placed it? Remember the song, our hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' love and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all what? Other ground is sinking sand. See, we are spiritually rich. We have peace with God. We have a God who says, I want to restore things, and I also want to give you hope. I see you're broken. I see your pain. And just because I've been silent doesn't mean I don't care. Have hope, because I will fix that. Have hope, because I will restore that. There was an elderly woman. Uh, she lived in a very run-down trailer. And when she passed away, she didn't have many family members there to, uh, to deal with the funeral and take care of her belongings. But they did. And then they found out that she had this safety uh, box at a bank. And then when they went to the bank and they pulled it out and they opened it up, it had hundreds of thousands of dollars. Nobody knew because of the way she lived. She lived in the beat-up old trailer, but yet she was rich. Christians, sometimes I think we're like, that, we're like that elderly lady. We are so spiritually rich. We have been forgiven by the God of this universe. We are loved by the God of this universe. He has given us eternal life. He has given us so many promises and blessings. We are so rich in Christ, but sometimes we walk around in raggedy clothes. And people have no clue how rich we are in Christ. We have it all. But how do we experience it, you maybe ask, right? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. One more scripture I want to show you. This is um, the story after Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. He resurrected from the dead. And before he started revealing himself to a lot of his disciples, all of his disciples had lost hope, basically. Our Savior is dead. Our Lord is dead. He's buried. They lock themselves up in a room and they're like, we just, we're not going to come out. And a couple of them like, we're just going to leave town. And there were a couple of disciples that said, we're just going to leave town. We're going to head off to Emmaus. And it says in verse 13 of Luke 24, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they're talking about everything that happened. Do you believe what happened? I know, I can't believe this. He died and do you remember how, oh, how dreary it was? It was in the middle of the day and it was so dark. Yeah, that's strange, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, and then they went to go break his legs. They were going to hurt him, but then he was already dead. And so they went in and they buried him. And it's been three days and I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And as they're walking, it says, and discussing these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. It's like they're walking like, all of a sudden, hey, how you doing? All right, hey. And it's like, what you guys talking about? Oh, haven't you not heard? Where have you been? You've been living in a cave? Jesus is like, well, it may be, right? And they went on to tell him what happened. And Jesus started from Old Testament scripture, 
telling him about all these things that would happen. And they're like, wow, this guy's pretty knowledgeable, right? And they sit down to eat. And then Jesus blesses the food, and all of a sudden their eyes are opened. It's like, it is Jesus, right? And once they discovered they had been walking with Jesus, their hope was restored. And they turned around and walked back to Jerusalem to tell everybody. See, here's what happens when we lose hope. When we lose hope, we walk away from the fellowship of believers. They left the other disciples in Jerusalem, and it's like, let's just head off to Emmaus, right? If this, we lose hope, we walk away from that where we should be with other people who can help us, and we can pray together even in those hopeless moments. And they're walking, and Jesus meets us a lot of times in those hopeless moments and says, I want to help you. It's me. I'm alive. You are alive in me. And I can give you victory and peace and the hope that you need and get us turned back around and go in the direction that we need to go. But we have to have our eyes open to Christ. We have to seek that peace. When it's tough, and I get it, it's tough. And when you feel hopeless, and I understand there's times you feel hopeless, do not give up. Don't walk away. Listen, we can't understand the way God works or how his thinking is. I get that. I don't understand God, right? But that's part of the Christian walk. He's God. I'm not. I don't have to understand him. I just got to trust him. And I don't know if God has this big heavenly calendar that, you know, it's like, here's a date. And it's like, I'll send Jesus to earth. And then and, uh, he's going to walk on water. And then they're going to, yep, on this date, he's going to get crucified. And on this day, he's going to. He's going to kick Satan's butt, and he's going to, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a a resurrection and everything, right? And did I just say that in church? I think I did. Anyway, and then, and then this is going to happen with the walk of the Emmaus, and then Paul is, Paul is going to see the light. He was a murderer. He was a thug. And he's going to surrender to me on that day. And then then he he goes down a little bit further. He's like, oh, and this is the day that Rex's dad, I'm going to meet Rex's dad in my presence. And then, and then this is the day. I'm sending Jesus back to earth. I don't know if God's got this incredible calendar, but he knows the day when Christ is coming back. And we celebrate that. We look forward to that. In the meantime, between now and whenever that day is, it's easy to feel hopeless. And that's why God said, I'm sending you my son to give you hope to maintain until that day comes. I heard a story about a family that they had some special plates in the house and one that the mom obviously really loved. She had, you know, little Christmas decorations on them and it was special to her, had meaning behind it and and she kept it in a safe place and every now and then they'd maybe get it out just for to look at whatever and one day mom was gone and dad was proud of the house and one of the kids pulled it out to take a look at it and they were looking at it and just with wonder and one of them accidentally dropped it and the child stepped down to start picking up all the pieces and there were so many pieces and it's like how do you take this and fix it it was beyond repair and dad came home and saw what happened to the mom's plate had an idea. He decided he would take those broken pieces and he'd take a couple popsicle sticks, some tape, tape the sticks together, make a cross. He took a lot of glue and put glue all over it. And then he took the pieces that were there and he 
broke them up into finer, smaller pieces and then poured them over top of the cross with the glue to where they could make a Christmas ornament in which they would then hang on the Christmas tree. And every year that what used to be a plate had now become a Christmas ornament. Something that was broken was pieced together to meet something more beautiful. And I believe that's what God does with us. A lot of us have brokenness. A lot of us are losing hope. I want to tell you right now, church, listen carefully. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take our brokenness, our broken pieces, and make something beautiful of it. To piece it together on the cross. To display it to the world. To show that he is God. We have a hope. We have hope in Christ. Amen. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an awesome and amazing God you are. To take our lives, which is messy and broken and hopeless at times, and we wonder how and what if, and and you just say, let me piece it together. Let me take your brokenness. I did it on the cross. Let me take those broken pieces and put it there with me because I'm I'm alive. I've risen from the dead. I'm victorious. I'm coming again. And those are all promises which are true, have been true, and your coming again is going to happen. And we have a hope in that. Until that day comes, Lord, take our brokenness and piece it together. Give us the hope we need to take the next step forward today and the next step tomorrow. And one day at a time. We trust you, God. We trust you. You are God. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now. In thy name we pray.